yesterday uh, we were discussing uh, Labour's new law and order announcements, including new criminal offence targeting RAM rating, kids as young as 12 and 13 uh, able to be escalated now to the youth court, or uh, uh, this, this is the new idea, and two new youth justice units. And we got a text from someone who was in a youth facility in the early 2000s from uh, when he was 13 to 17 years old. He's now a youth worker and youth advocate, and he is with us now. Kia ora, and thank you for joining us. Uh, Kia ora panel, um, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, how did you end up in a youth justice facility? Well, there's, there's a bit of a story, but um, I'll, I'll make it short. Um, pretty much I grew up um, with a solo mum. It was me, my younger sister and my mum. Um, mum was on a benefit, um, pretty much just scraping by. Um, worked the odd part-time job, did a little bit of work under the table um, just to make ends meet. Now, we were fortunate enough when my grandmother, well, not fortunate that my grandmother passed away, but um, my mother received an inheritance and was able to then buy a house um, in the year 2000. So we moved in there, um, and as mortgages do, rates go up, I'm sure, as many people are experiencing now, but um, she ended up having to pick up a part-time job on top of the benefit to... Um, make ends meet, essentially, put a roof over our head and and food on the plate for me and my sister. Now, what this meant was that she was working afternoons and evenings. So even at age 10, age 11, I was coming home to an empty house, um, preparing food for my younger sister and I, um, and pretty much have not having that one parental figure we did have wasn't around because she was trying to um, make ends meet. Now, of course, that meant that I didn't have the the structure um, and the, the role modelling that other young people of that age should should be able to have. And so that led me down a path of getting associated with the wrong crowd. At 13, I was using alcohol and cannabis fairly regularly, engaging in um, petty theft, and that got me into the ra- onto the radar of the police and of this as it, as it was then. Um, and when they came in and did their investigations, I was... Um, it was found that there were care and protection issues, so I was uplifted um, from my mother at that point. You had a pretty intense time uh, in, um, in in the system. Can you explain that for us briefly, and then we'll go to the panel? Yeah, so I um, went into a couple of foster home environments to start with, um, pretty much continued on the same path I was in. They didn't do a lot to to change me, so I ended up in a boys' home in Auckland. Um, Now there were 15 boys um, in six rooms across two houses, Um, and I was there from year 13 to 17. Um, I I can recall that time there was a lot of one-upsmanship in the the youth home around, you know, who who had committed the, the worst crime, who had got away with whatever crimes the most times. Um, there was very much a, a one-upsmanship there. Um, and some of the staff were fairly volatile as well. I re- do recall, I think I was about 14 at the time, I spent a year, um, not, not a year, sorry, I spent a month in solitary confinement purely because I lost my temper at one of the staff. Now, what that meant was that I wasn't allowed to interact with any other, any of the other boys that were in the home. I pretty much got carted to the old ed facility and back, um, not, not being able to speak to anyone. I would 
um, go into a room where there was plywood fixed over the jib in the room um, and a mattress on the floor. I was only allowed out of the room for showers and meals and to, to go back and forth between the, the old ed facility that I was attending. A month and a half in solitary confinement. Uh, unbelievable. Um, look, let's go to our panel. Sarah. Oh, um, <clears throat> Kia I'm, I'm, I'm listening to um, your story and I'm feeling the mamai. Um, and I would like to acknowledge how courageous you are in coming on and, and, and sharing what's happened and also how you, I understand, you're, you're serving um, as a youth worker to try to change this, quite frankly, barbaric system. Um, so I, yeah, kāroha nui. What, I, what I'd like to ask you is if you had a meeting with Chapi Tukani, the CE of Oranga Tamariki, what would you say about your experience and what needs changing? I would ask him why my voice didn't matter. I would ask him why I had these social workers and these staff in these facilities, excuse me, and why my voice was not heard in any of that, why no one came up and asked me what I aspired to be, what mattered to me. Simon. Um, I, I want to say something about this that... Um, it, I imagine will be unpopular with some listeners, and I'm sorry for that. But, you know, almost 40 years ago in this country, we established a, an economic regime that led to high unemployment, that closed down whole towns, you know, closed down the work opportunities of people in larger cities, you know, in all sorts of areas, led to family breakdown, led to the institutionalisation of a whole lot of kids you know, in state care, and we been hearing from the commission, the Royal Commission now, and mm. what, hap what happened to those kids. Um, and the inheritors of the political tradition that established that in this country are now telling us they need, we need tougher sentences, we need to lock people up and basically throw away the key. And it's a situation that has been caused not entirely but in very large part by their own economic policies uh, and we are intergeneration, intergenerationally mired in that now and it's going to take a long time to get out of it um, and that's not to say that nothing should be done with kids who ram raid, it's to say that everything should be done with them um, including finding ways to love them and care for them and help them. I agree, and prevention's better than the cure. So it is about reconnection, and it is about front-loading and supporting struggling families. So what, I, what I'd like to know is, in terms of where you are now, mm. who was the, what happened? Um, first of all, I'd like to say that I've, I've achieved what I've achieved in spite of my upbringing, not because of, mm. of any intervention that any government department provided. Mm. Yeah. Um, but what it's, what it's given me, um, and I think what, what's, you know, there's, there's a saying in entrepreneurship that you, you use what you have. And I had a lot of pain and anger. Um, now, um, after I got out of here at 17, um, I continued to use substances right up until my mid-20s. 
um, and I just happened to move into a flat with a bunch of people that went to university. And they say that you're the average of the people you associate with, and that lifted my average just a little high enough for me to aspire for more. Mm. Um, and I was able to turn that anger around and, and say that I I refuse to to let another person experience the, the hopelessness and helplessness and the feeling of not being wanted that I experienced. And it's I've made a career out of. Um, determining that I will never let another young person that I engage with feel the way that I did. Brilliant. Well, uh, to echo many people, um, uh, Jay in Ōtodahi says, I'm sitting in my car with tears, Mm -hmm. listening to this brave and courageous man talking about his experience in care. Please thank him for sharing and wish him well. He is so uh, inspirational. Mm. there's so many questions we still want to ask you. We've got a couple more minutes. I guess I want to go back and ask you while we do have the time, um, what ongoing impact did isolation in care have you? And recall, this is not even that long ago. This is in the 2000s, 2004, 2005. What impact ongoing did uh, a month and a half uh, isolation have on you? Um, well, first of all, I became very comfortable with my own company, um, but I, I guess, I guess second to that, it, I, I didn't. I guess I didn't know that that at, at that point that that wasn't supposed to happen. Um, and I, I think that that isolation, that period in isolation, plus some of the other experiences, because that wasn't the only bout of, of time I spent in isolation. That was the longest, but it wasn't the only bout of time I spent in there. Is that that, that that it gave me the ability to to endure? Um, I, I think that that whole experience, not just the isolation, but being in that home for for four years, the the one thought that kept me going was that I'm once once I'm seventeen, I'm I'm going to be at the other side of this, and it, it gave me the ability um, to endure, which has served me well. Um, and I know this isn't directly answering your question, but it has given me the ability now. To walk alongside the youth that I work with for however long it takes. Another one here. I'm boiling my eyes out listening to this mm-hmm. amazing man's story. His mother did the best she could with what she had, and he suffered the consequences of having his only parent unavailable. Life's tough for some. When you get squeezed with enough pressure, you can become a diamond. Uh, I want to ask you also, you have been in these facilities. Uh, you now support uh, youth in a similar situation uh, you were, so you know uh, what happens in these situations. Do you think it's gotten better or worse since 2005 when you were in there? Um, I, I don't think they've gotten any better, um, to be honest. And I think the, the approach that we're taking of putting our, putting our, worst, our worst youth offenders in, into these facilities... Um, has made them has made them environments that are unsafe, uh, are more unsafe for youth now than what they were when I went in there because because of the one-upsmanship and because of the um, because of the, the jostling for social hierarchy that that happens in those places at such a pivotal age for identity development for young people. I, I think they are worse environments now for young people than they were when I was in there. 
this one here, I have stopped doing what I was doing to sit and listen to this story and cry, incredible person. I will be sharing this interview with everyone. Final thoughts around the panel. I, I just want to say thank you for sharing. Uh, 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 I don't know what else to say. I'm, I feel so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, and also um, you are so inspirational to rangatahi that are unfortunately in the in the uh, institutions at the moment and keep going because um, you will change the system by how you lead your life. Yeah. Hey, thanks for um, joining us on the panel. Kia ora. Appreciate your time. Thank you. That is a gentleman, uh, we got a text yesterday who uh, share, wanted to share his experiences in a youth facility in the early 2000s from when he was 13 to 17, uh, and he changed his life around. He's now a youth worker, a health advocate, uh, and he works with uh, youth on the rails. So, what a story, eh? Yeah, and, yeah. and um, you know, there's lots of, it's election year and there's lots of political talk about Kiwi battlers and people doing it hard and all the rest and lots of people are doing it hard of course um, but we tend to forget people like him who do it really hard you know it's I mean one of the battles I have at the moment uh, with some of the stuff I've been writing is very wealthy business people shouldn't have to pay more tax because uh, they've worked really hard and taken enormous risks. I don't know that anybody takes more risks and has worked harder and been up against it more uh, than someone like that young man. Yeah. Another one here. Um, I'm very moved, sending love, and he sounds mm. like a diamond. Mm. I'll be sharing it uh, as well.